I'm Mark Stedman, and ageing is just an anagram of Ian Egg, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I'm, I'm John Hickman, and I'm nearly 42. I'm Danny Smith. Thank you. Oh, that's exactly... How did you... Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm John Bounds, and you know, it doesn't make much sense. There ought to be a law against anyone who takes offence a, a day in your celebration. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the leopard. leopard, leopard, leopard. From the outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, the podcast that three years ago was started by just some guys you know about that 80s TV show now blow my brummy boys blow soon may the leopard men come to drink you under the table chum one day when recording is done we'll sink our tracks and go among our particular remit if, if you're looking after a small child you've got a little a limited a, amount of sort of cultural feedback from them. Mm. So uh, what you tend to do, at least what I tend to do, is you're continually making up new words to songs to get them to do things. <laughs> okay. So you might um, sing uh, to the tune of Sparks' is, uh, Beat the Clock, Feed the Dog, we've got to feed the dog, <laughs> or things like that. But when all this TikTok business and the shanties was going on, I'd uh, got one for uh, getting the lad to put his underpants on. you Oh, when the pants man comes, he pulls up your pants to cover your bum. <laughs> uh, that song has been in my head now for a month, like continuously, like permanently going on in the back of my head for a month. Uh, yeah, well, do, uh, weatherman, a weatherman is the man who works for the Weller Tea Company, who was uh, um, delivering supplies to the uh, Clippers that were off um, on their on their businesses. So hence he was bringing spices, uh, tea, and and some rum. Yeah. Mm, rum. So I've but I've the the guys who did the original of that um, are a band called the Long Johns or the Longest Johns that <laughs> um, I saw at the Oxford uh, Folk Club, which is a room above a pub in Oxford with some old people in it um, a couple of years ago. They were very good. So I'm even a hipster on hipster sea, sea shanties. There, I saw them a couple of years ago before they were famous. And you laughed when we talked about Fisherman's Friend. I still do. So this is, um, yep, nominally uh, a podcast. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, this this time we are celebrating birthdays that are significant, um, given our particular remit, which um, was, again, nominally about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I'm not sure what it is now. Um, so, Danny, you've already passed it. Mr. Hickman, you're about to uh, get there. How is life at 42 looking? Um, who, who knows? Who knows what, how life is looking at the moment? This isn't life, is it? No, I this hope is, not. This is some weird interstitial purgatory that, that isn't actually life. This is life for the B-movie. Um, yeah, I'm 42 now. I'm older than John H. Imagine that, viewers. I know John H. gives off very dad vibes, <laughs> right? But I'm actually <laughs> older than him. Yeah, I, I don't know what life is like. Life is, isn't life interacting with other people and, and you, know, um, you know, leaving the house. It's all the moment between the click and the bang, as they say. Is that what life is? Yeah, well, as, as um, John Lennon said, life is uh, what, what happens when you're busy making bread. Or shagging the nanny. Life is like a box of chocolates and we've only got the coffee creams left. That's where we are. You're beating your wife and son. So, so John Hickman. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How's, what's, what's life staring down the barrel at 42, of 42, looking? How is it? What? Um, uh, yeah, much as Danny said, like, yeah, I don't, I don't really... Um, it's going to come and it's going to go, unfortunately. So this is, this is nice that we're here today to actually celebrate it together. It's, it's lovely. Oh, so I'm going to guess in the, this sort of um, situation, not only has there not been a party 
unless we unless you owe the government ten thousand pounds unless there's been a there hasn't been a party and also one day is very much like another i'm guessing mm. so you won't feel this you've got you're basically going to get a big old birthday hangover my mum didn't even get me a card oh that sucks i basically bought some online and she transferred the money into my account Oh, now they say romance is dead. And uh, <laughs> I, my lovely girlfriend, Lucy, got me some stuff, but that's pretty much it, apart from the exciting parcels I got down there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, for, for, uh, for the listener, uh, Danny is referring to some things that he has been given. Uh, presents, not, you know. Yeah. My bollocks, no. Not, not his uh, aforementioned bollocks. Exactly. Um, I've got a... I've got a so, th- weirdly, the last time I saw Daniel... Uh, was to celebrate my previous birthday, um, and it's so it, we're gonna we're gonna very soon mark a, a year in uh, in lockdown because it was it was like a very f- short few days after my birthday that um, we we declared ourselves a na- well we didn't declare a national emergency we had a week where we all sort of went we're not supposed to go out but I guess we're gonna go out and then yeah cool story bro. So we, uh, as as you will know, if you've listened to previous episodes, if you have, thank you. Um, I feel like I say that every every time, but uh, we... It's just so unlike Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it really does mean a lot. Um, we go away and we write uh, some words and we come back and, and, uh, and we judge them. We we judge each other's words, um, and uh, and and we we present them uh, the words that we've written on this theme of aging and birthdays and um, solar cycles around the sun stuff. So to begin, I would like to open the floor to one Jonathan J Hickman. Oh, cool, Esquire. <clears throat> okay, cool. Uh, so my bit is, um, I th- I think it's going to sort of touch on some areas that we're going to hear from some of the others as well, which is, which is always nice. I like the way that these all dovetail together. Um, mine's concerned with the fact that, um, age isn't going to be the same in the galaxy because everyone's going to have different ways of counting time and, uh, different relativity, like, like, like baby Yoda being 40, but being a baby. Right. So it's about, um, it's about age and and ethics and when we say people should be old enough to do stuff. When the Sub-Ether Entertainment news feed Nebulon 6 ran a titillating story about Eccentrica Columbus's birthday under the headline, She's Legal Now Fellas, Let's Get to Business A, it caused understandable upset and the hacks at Nebulon came in for a great deal of criticism for their behaviour. However, it was what would happen the day after Eccentrica's birthday that would cause the real problem. When the news reached the planet Tesselialia 258, a moral panic broke out. Golumbitz had for many years been a popular pin-up girl for the Tesselialians. Her annual swimsuit calendar graced the walls of workshops and teenage boys' bedrooms across the planet, and she became the face of a popular range of bar snacks. An emergency meeting was called in the Tesselialian Senate, which led to this proclamation. Whereby it be known that the people of Tesselialia 258 have sexualized and fantasized about eccentrica galumbits and bought extra bags of bar snacks in the hope of seeing a little bit more, shall it be known today that we denounce this behavior, having learned that she came of age but yesterday. 
and so it is proclaimed that pornographic materials of eccentric Ergolumbits should not have been viewed by anyone, and the strictest punishment of the law shall be meted upon those who have transgressed. So it is signed. The resulting onanism pogrom against those who had saucy posters of Ergolumbits led to the loss of 7 billion souls and a long-standing shortage of peanuts. And the problem with all of this was as follows. Nebulon 6 ran out of the planet Darkadon in the Plingelialia system, and the Darkadonians are a very long-lived species when compared to Tasselialians, or indeed Golumbitz's own race. There had been a terrible mistake. Darkadon customs around ageing had been applied to a context in which they made no sense at all. From Golumbitz's point of view, she was already an adult. In fact, when Nebulon 6 ran their story, Golumbitz was very surprised as she'd already enjoyed a long and successful adult life. Eccentrica had already retired from her first career in the sex industry and was now writing children's books, such as the very popular and empowering picture book Fanny's Magic Hat and the ravenous Bug Blatter Beast of Trial. But the person who was most surprised by all of this was the author of the article which caused all of the problems. Clumsloff Volrot was a business correspondent and he'd filed a story about Golumbitz now being old enough to legally incorporate a business onto Celialia 258, only to find it had been salaciously rewritten by the entertainment desk. Yes, galactic society has a difficult time dealing with age. The many species of the galaxy age differently and so local laws and morals which make sense at home may be nonsensical one planet over. For this reason, travellers should check local bylaws in relation to age-based policies so that they can be sure they're not in breach of any regulations. Sex is, of course, only one of the areas affected by age-based confusion. One of the biggest problems is the control of access to alcohol and other stimulants. Most societies in the galaxy insist that only adults can obtain and enjoy alcohol. For some time, Huberto was believed to be the only planet where there was no age-based prohibition for drinking alcohol. Sudarjo Klupaik, the president of Huberto, was called before a special hearing of her galactic sector's high court to explain herself and her policies. Klupaik claimed that the babelfish could not properly translate the Hubertan word for milk, so when she was asked what her people gave to their infants, she was definitely saying milk and not old Jank's spirit. Whilst her argument was accepted, it's nonetheless noted that most Herberton children's first words are Leave him Dave, he's not worth it. The fact that the galaxy's decided to put age-based limits on the consumption of alcohol does mean that the galaxy has also decided to encourage their youth to find creative ways to access alcohol before they reach their age of majority. Here are some of the ways in which this can usually be achieved. Sending another child who has already pupated and emerged with all of their wings to the shop to buy the drinks for everyone else. Going on a road trip to a nearby planet with less strict drinking rules. Asking an older brother or Zaphod Beeblebrox to get some drinks for you. Stealing alcohol from your parents' drinks cabinet and remembering to use the time-space dilation effect of faster-than-light travel to replace the alcohol later on when you're an adult. A particularly ingenious way of obtaining alcohol can be used to offset ageing. For many years, the beauty businesses, based primarily on the moons of Tashnir and Nar, had tried to produce creams and lotions which would de-age the gullible and the foolish. 
These creams never worked, and the industry was on the brink of collapse, when, in a chance meeting, a Tashnian product designer met with a broker and the two hatched an ingenious plan. The broker had been working for many years on pollution offsets in the radium mining belt of Mercurinia-138. Mercurinia-138 was dying under the weight of industrial pollution, so businesses were given an allowance of waste they could produce. The broker ran schemes which allowed businesses to offset extra waste over and above their allowance by buying capacity from other businesses who weren't using all of theirs. This worked well to a point, but there weren't enough credits to go around, which is when the broker hit on an ingenious plan. He incorporated four million children from the pastoral paradise of Seti Wintronia as businesses and sold their pollution credits to the miners, allowing them to continue destroying their planets with near impunity. What if, he suggested to his new friend, we had your old and haggard customers simply assign some of their age to people who are too young to get into discotheques? This process is largely a paperwork exercise and nobody actually looks younger or older than before the trades take place, but crucially you can get a big drink at the end of it. You know, when you um, decant wine, you're supposed to let it breathe. Yeah, I'm 42, so I, I know about decanting wine. So could you transport the wine sort of like half an hour into the future so it's already breathed? Or would that mean that it hasn't breathed because it hasn't actually spent the time? I think I've just, I think, oh, I think I've invented Looper 2. <laughs> Box my head off there. It's like primer. Um, no, I mean, it actually, ha- it actually physically has to have that time. It does, doesn't it? The, the time is a red herring. What you want is air to get to the wine. Mm-hmm. So what, in fact, you need to do is instead of moving the wine through time, you need to move the entire universe apart from the bottle of wine forward half an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would solve it. So that, yeah, or, or go back in time and remember to open the wine and decant the wine. Yeah, send the wine back half an hour would be easier. Yeah, it would, it would be easier, wouldn't it? Or put it in a blender. That's the thing they do, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. Was in succession, and uh, I didn't think it was a real thing. Then I googled it. And it is a real thing. In succession, the the character played by um, Alan Rudd. One of his brothers arrives at his house to find him putting good French wine into a blender and asks him what the hell he's doing. And he says, "I'm hyper decanting. Don't you hyper decant your wine?" <laughs> and apparently, this is a thing. People put wine in a blender when they haven't got time. Well, you're aerating it, I guess, aren't you? Yeah, when they haven't got time to. So instead of time travel, just buy a blender. I mean, that, it's going to make a slightly less interesting series of novels. <laughs> I mean, if you add ice and some herbs and. You know, a little bit of lemonade. You can have like a sangria, margarita type deal. Oh, from the blender? Yeah, I like that a lot. You tend not to do that with actually good wine. Yeah, I do feel like it's a it's a bit of a yeah, it's a bit of a waste. So yeah, there was um, there was there was there was a lot in there. I had I had a ton of different ideas and I had to string them together. Um, the one idea that I couldn't put in, which I mentioned to you all in the text earlier on, was this. I had this idea about um, if everybody ages differently then there's like different points in time when you should do specific things where you can really appreciate them the most, where you're kind of old enough to get it, but like young enough to be physically capable of doing things. Um, and I had this idea about, uh, about um, a, 
a sommelier who tells you when to do something, who turns up and goes, oh, sir, this is the perfect time now to, uh, oh. to, in, to enjoy a bicycle ride through France with a piece of cheese. Temporal sommelier. Temporal sommelier, yeah, yeah. I think that, that, would, be quite, that would be quite neat. A chronomelier. Cromelier. Cromelier. There you go, cromelier. But it would get, I mean, it, there's, a, there's a, a certain amount in which that would be quite depressing, isn't it? Because when you're like 19, it'd be going, oh, you're at your sexual peak, lad. Uh, <laughs> you should be uh, doing this. And you've got to also uh, watch Quadrophenia and uh, <laughs> read Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> and um, you probably want to drink uh, WD. Uh, WKD. W- no, I was WD thinking 40. of. Um, I wasn't thinking of WD forty. I was thinking of um, uh, Mad Dog twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but it tastes the cider. same. So it's interestingly what you've just said there means that maybe those um, those toilet attendants that we briefly had in the late nineties <laughs> oh, were actually time sommeliers. The reason why they were telling you that you needed to go. You needed a splash of aftershave and to go and pull it was because they were trying to say it's the perfect day. It's your, <laughs> now is your time. I mean, so can you get one that, um, can you get one on minimum? Well, they weren't even on minimum wage, just on tips, weren't they? Pre minimum wage. That was a weird thing that just came and it went, didn't it? I, I, I still think they, they were a thing up until recently. Were they? I don't, rem- well, mind you, I haven't been to like, uh, COVID times aside, I haven't been to like a trendy bar. In a long old while, it's is that your of, choice or it's it's part of the Very license. Uh, it's part of the license risk assessments for some places. They say, look, people can't be doing bagfuls of blow in the toilets because we've got these people sitting in the toilet stopping them. Yeah, and and also the time sommelier says you're not supposed to do coke until you're thirty, anyway. and they definitely can't be bribed because we <laughs> definitely pay them enough. Yeah. <laughs> so first time I went to um, Holland with a group of uh, people, not to. Uh, not to Amsterdam for anything like that. But um, we discovered that in lots of bars, there was an old woman sitting just inside the toilet. And uh, you'd go in for a piss and have a piss. And the old woman would get quite angry. And eventually it was pointed out pointed out that you pay 20, the equivalent of about 20p, about 40 cents, to go to the toilet in uh, Dutch bars and this old woman was there to essentially uh, stare at you until you you paid the money. She wasn't collecting it. She was just there to like look down upon you. Wow. But you you get a lot of these. um, I I remember going on holiday with with my parents to various places and the, the sort of holiday rep would always say, oh yeah, there's, there's going to be somebody sat outside of a public toilet. They're, they're not officially on business, but you just give them money and that's the way that that works. And there, there were car parks where people would buy their own hats and walk around with a hat that said they were an inspector. Do I saw this in the pa- I saw this in the paper the other day. So um, Bristol Zoo, yes, uh, for years didn't have its own car park. People would just park outside on the grass. Yes, and it had apparently um, guys who would just like go and get their own tabard <laughs> and go around asking you for voluntary contributions. <laughs> <laughs> And no, not the, so they'd say they were working for the, the council and the, the, the zoo thought they were working for the council and the council thought they were working for the zoo. And really, the, eventually the bloke um, just didn't turn up for work one day and they go, well, where's that? Where's Fred? Yeah, it happened for years. And, and he he'd, uh, fuck, he'd, he'd fucked off to the Costa del Sol on the proceeds. <laughs> That's brilliant. God's sake, when somebody think of the chimpanzees. If he was a real capitalist, he'd have been paying someone on minimum wage to do it for him, of course. He probably is now. So, Danny, uh, off, the, off the back of that, what would be your uh, what would be your best way of getting alcohol 
when you're underage. Well, how did, how did we used to get alcohol? Yeah. We lived in Northfield, mate. There was no one checking. Nobody cared. <laughs> anyway, like most of the kids look like they were 45. That's <laughs> <laughs> that Northfield life. Your average 11 year old could go in without being ID'd, claim he worked in a mine and be, be let off. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I did do the thing where I filled my parents' um, uh, spirits up, back up with water after a party once. Um, and when they found out, they were furious. And they weren't furious that we drank the spirits. They were furious that we'd ruined the rest of the spirits. Yep, quite rightly so. I think, I think, I think, my, I think my values changed that day. <laughs> yeah, we all learned a lesson today. <laughs> but you do get. I remember the first time that I bought a drink in a in a in a pub or wait, a, a social club. It was. I was in there, and my dad had been carefully monitoring. Like uh, my alcohol consumption, like you'd let me have a half every now and again. And he gave me a couple of quid and he said, your turn, we'll gather, uh, we're going to go in a bit, go and get two, two hours for the road sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I must have been about 15 and a bit, something like that. And the people beyond the bar knew I wasn't 18. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't 18. Um. And but I was still nervous about it, but I knew that they knew, and I also and they, yeah, but anyway, and and then we drove home. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you did the driving because you had the least beer. <laughs> I remember turning up at the club that I'd been going to for a couple of years with a big eighteen badge and some balloons, and the bouncer being absolutely furious because I knew him. <laughs> I think my 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 uh, uncle Robin tells a story about going to um going to a pub in uh, in. Well, the milk shovel over in uh, Small Leaf from when he was about 16. And after he'd been going there for a couple of years, uh, he asked the gaffer he could have his birthday there. Like, can I have a party? And he goes, Yeah. Wow, you're 18. (laughs) (laughs) Halcyon days. So from that, um, my bit is uh, it's there is a there is a dovetailing uh, aspect. Um, I was struck with the idea of birthdays being uh, annual uh, and and being uh, and uh, our annus being um, based on the uh, (laughs) on the solar cycle and uh, and what that might mean for planets that perhaps had uh, perhaps were um, differently orbited or differently orbital. Most planets in the galaxy consider a year to be a complete rotation of that planet around the nearest star. Beings with a finite lifespan place a significance on the number of solar cycles from the day of their birth, the day their operating system was first booted up, or, in the case of the Zit people of one Graham Smith from Kent, the day they burst. If one of the Zit people happens to have their birthday at the same time Graham's delivering a PowerPoint, he is summarily elected leader of the Zit people. The custom of celebrating birthdays in relation to the planet's orbit is that not all orbits are created equal. While many orbits are circular, some follow a Klemperer-Rosette orbit, and some, as in the planet Steve Davis 11, are triangular. A number of planets in the Gerftang sector have orbital patterns that no astronomer has yet been able to plot, at least while being in a legal state of mind and thus remembering to bring a pen. On Gerftang Prime, a trip around the Sun can take between 200 and 6,598 days. And because Gerftang Prime has no moon, it's extremely difficult to know what day it is. 
So, after a millennia of thought and debate, the Gurftangai decided, sod it, it's 4pm on Thursday. 4pm being the ideal time for one last big push before clocking off, and Thursday because it meant tomorrow would herald the start of the weekend and they had the pub to look forward to. Among the side effects of this orbital eccentricity, aside from the unfortunate non-existence of nostalgic talking head TV programmes where forgotten celebrities pretend to remember things, is the inability to keep track of one's age. Not having a solid number on which to mark your progress through life has, for the Gurftangai, however, been something of a boon. And because no one knows how long an average Gurftangai life is, no one is too old to wear shorts, listen to Green, a curious mix of staccato strings, xylophones and the sizzle of a lightly fried egg, or spend an evening in the park, trying to loop-de-loop on the swings. The Gurftangai live only in the now, aware of the passage of time in the wake it leaves behind, but having no pressing need to plan for a future whose distance is impossible to gauge. They don't wait for an arbitrary point in their life to do all the things they should have done when they were younger, and they don't keep having conversations where one turns to the other and says, surely that was only 10 years ago, for the other to reply, no, you're forgetting about 2001 to 2009. As long as it's always Thursday at 4pm, the future is theoretically bright and hypothetically open, and it's always someone else's first shout at the bar tomorrow. Probably Dave's. I, I want to be one of them. They sound fun. Yeah, it's fun, fun, fun beings. Thursday, uh, my favourite bit, though, is that Thursday just before knocking off time is the be- best bit of the week, because Friday, my, I don't know, lots of people like Fridays. But Thursday, I always thought Thursday was better than Friday. Yeah, because it's it points to optimism. It points to potential. You know, the weekend is this mythical thing that it's going to come. It's it's just around the corner, and that gives you a sense of of um, of optimism. It's it's uh, people like to talk about Hump Day, but no Thursday. Thursday at four p.m. is where it's at. It's the golden time. Thursday, you go, going out and getting hammered on a Thursday, knowing. I can like I can survive with a hangover for one day. It's Friday. When I did work in an office, um, Thursday was always better than Friday because on Friday you had to look busy but not actually do anything because it's Friday, and that's quite stressful <laughs> to kind of maintain a decent level of looking busy. Well actually trying to optimize not doing anything that can be quite stressful whereas thursday you're solidly not doing anything but don't have to look that busy because nobody suspects and nobody suspects the long lunch on a thursday so you can go for a long lunch on a thursday and they're not going oh they're taking the piss they're like oh obviously they you know they had to go have a meeting or whatever my old marketing job um i think because it was an old school firm uh fridays were just brilliant because um it was almost always someone's birthday which means um, it was pub time and their weird tradition is, was that if it's your birthday, you buy the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was always, you know, or almost always a week where someone was getting around in and, uh, and yeah, Friday, one o'clock, we'd all pile into a bunch of cars, go down, um, Harborn and, uh, and, and drink for a couple of hours, come back, sit in our chairs and sometimes pretend to look busy or sometimes just play music. It- Anyone that says that like um, a five-day work week can't be reduced down to a four-day work week is 
is either lying or has never worked in an office. Well, as we, uh, is, I mean, there's empirical studies about this that in the uh, 1970s, when um, the, under the Tory government's three-day week due to the Suez oil crisis, Britain was more productive uh, when everybody's working three days than we've ever been before or since. But I would like to think that it was the uh, inalienable right of the British worker to uh, take, if I, if it was a four-day work week and everybody uh, finished on Thursday, you know, like Thursday we won't do anything, Wednesday we, uh, we can go and get really pissed because on Thursday we don't do anything because last day, right? And then we campaign harder and harder and harder and harder and eventually capitalism disappears of its own anus. I mean, if we're all honest, right, if we're all absolutely honest, it, when working in an office, we all could have knocked off at lunch and it made no fucking difference whatsoever. The hardest I've worked in an afternoon in an office was trying to stay awake. <laughs> I once typed something with my forehead because I fell asleep so hard. <laughs> and nobody was there spotting me. My mate Richie used to spot. <laughs> be like, Dan, you go in. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Yep, yep, yep. It's a little bit like me listening to your uh, bits on the podcast, to be honest. No, I'm only joking. <sighs> Hickman. Where, 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 where are you in all this? Have you, I mean, you've worked in office, but not like proper ones, have you? I've, wor- I've worked in proper offices, you cheeky son of a gun. Um, yeah, no, I was just thinking about my... Um, the, the, there was a, a task that I always had to do at four o'clock in my, in my summer job, which was in, in an office, and that, that was... I'm wondering now if that was designed to just keep me on my toes, Danny. What was it like? Have to find some tartan paint or something? What? What was? Well, specifically, and I, I can actually, I've, I've written this this all down, so I can give you, I can give you it for the show notes if you wish. In your memoirs? Um, no. So uh, there was there was there was a joke conference proposal put out once for um, talks about things that were over engineered, and I I wrote up the process that we used to do this archiving project in, in the local government back home when I was a kid. And one of the steps was that we had to send a fax at four o'clock. So I, I've got all the instructions for how you deliver this job, but like it was very, very, very strange because it was in the time when there was only like one computer in the office that could do the internet. So you had to wait for a supervisor to leave so you could email things to yourself so you could print them off so that you could then fax them. So you had to kind of like dovetail all these things. In. It's so strange to think of a time when there was one computer in an office that did, did the email. When I worked in an office, my mate Richie sent me an email saying, why, when Superman went bad, did he have like a five o'clock shadow? And I replied with, I think it was like a 1,500-word essay called The Semiotics of Facial Hair. <laughs> <laughs> that was two afternoons' work, that was. It was uh, it's probably the best thing I ever did while I was there. Have you got that for the show notes? Because I want to read it. I don't know if it's kicking around anywhere. It might still be on the uh, uh, email um, <laughs> service somewhere. We should, we should put a book out of um, 101 Amazing Time-Wasting you know, ways ways to buy ways to get your time back at work. The time that's stolen from you through menial work. Here are the ways that you can um, you can get some of it back. Number one, long shit. Oh god, I'm a fan of the long shit. Oh god, I used to love that in the in my in my design job. Um, 
uh, yeah, I, I I did take a number of. Uh, I, I did appear to have a bowel problem that I perhaps didn't have. <laughs> well, the um, the whole concept of like time and motion studies, they are just basically timing how long it takes you to do a motion. The only thing we used to get by a fax when I used to work at a place that had a fax. Well, I mean, like I'm sure the place I work now has got a fax, uh, but. It was, um, you used to every so often get like, um, what would now be considered like the sort of thing that your, your mom gets on a viral email <laughs> and it's not, I don't know, like, um, some like Tommy Cooper jokes that aren't really Tommy Cooper's jokes. Yeah. My dad used to get loads of stuff on the facts and it was all, it was all like, nowadays it'd be Photoshop, but instead it was just like massive copy degradation because people had overdrawn different things onto the facts. Over and over and over again. Which we now have again. Well, by the time I was in an office, we had one fax machine for the building, but like, it wasn't really used, but some of our vendors still did. Um, so if you ever had to send a fax, it was happy days, because you went downstairs, you could spend as long as you want, nobody cares. So you sit in the security guard's office having a chat and watching his telly for a bit. <laughs> oh, I was really bad. I was a really bad employee. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the idea of the, like, um, jobs where you could watch the telly have really uh it's really gone down when my dad uh got a job as a shop steward well when he became shop steward it wasn't his job um he used to uh go in for do overtime on saturdays and um he used to take our telly with him so we couldn't watch the telly but he went into what tis was and apparently what the uh the lads that got did overtime on a saturday used to do is they used to just wash each other's cars <laughs> Well, I mean, you soap my bonnet, I'll soap yours. John Bounds, you're next up. What what have you got for us? Bring us things. John Bounds. John Bounds has only just written words in the sense that I this I struggle to pass this <laughs> as someone who's looking at uh, looking at forty two in the rearview mirror. Mm. Um, significantly, I've never felt it's not that significantly. I've never, now. I've never felt, uh, and you know, you, we may consider John the daddy of the group, but that's more due to bearing. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely the uh, the, the elder, elder states, yeah. I'm, I'm the most decayed, <laughs> um, and I've <laughs> seen, mo- and I've seen most decades. You um, are, you a, are you a national treasure, but for the podcast, is that what you're saying? He's my treasure, he's my little treasure. I treasure him. No, I don't think so. I don't think I, I don't think I'm neither old enough nor um, drunk enough to become a national treasure. Although I was doing it, you don't have a, a past that if the Guardian got hold of it might upset a load of people and then launch a national investigation. So I don't think that qualifies. Oh fuck, you. I do. John's very problematic. <laughs> oh, fuck, I do. In fact, when I was um, considering standing for Parliament a couple of years ago, I spent a little bit a little bit of time with, like, um, the uh, Malcolm Tucker of the group, Danny, going, like, well, what can I do about all these things, bad, very bad things I've done? <laughs> and uh, in a he sort said, be a Tory, Jonathan. Be well, a no, Tory. When he, when I, what he said, it was very good advice, given the context of uh, what's happened politically in the last three or four years. He just said... Fuck it, we've got to move past this. That you can ride it out. Yeah, and uh, it turns out yep. it turns uh, out you can. Were you advising Donald Trump? I I said that the news cycle is so fucking quick, nobody cares anymore. It will be a story for about an hour before something else happens. And yeah, that's literally the 
the trajectory that everything's happened in. I feel both sad and vindicated. <laughs> and, look, and luckily for the people of um, uh, Perry Bar and or um, wherever else I may have considered standing, it came to pass, but not for me. Um, so, but I, yeah, and basically, I, basically, the reason I found this really difficult is because I can't remember what it's like to be forty-two. For for context, will you will you give the will you clue the listener into uh, where on the on the spectrum you you stand vis-a-vis age? I'm asking how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> Answer the question, Minister. How old are you? I don't know. Am I 45 or 46? I don't know. It's a simple question, Minister. How old are you? <laughs> I, genuinely you don't, I genuinely don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I was born in 1975. I can't do that, Matt. Uh, <laughs> I, have to put that, I have to put that on forms. You're, you're somewhere between four and five years older than me. Fucking hell. Well, I'm older than I thought. For carbon-based life forms with an average life expectancy of approximately 70 Earth years, Nothing is worse than having a birthday once you're past 40. Birthdays are the worst thing, says the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, except for the prospect of never having another one. Age is just a number, or in fact a mathematical model for the general state of growth and decay. Like distance, weight, or three degrees of warming, meaning many glaciers and ice caps melt, boosting sea levels rise and engulfing low areas, deserts growing and storms becoming more violent, leaving more areas of the globe uninhabitable and millions dying, beings focus on the numbers, the models, because they can't fully comprehend reality. And good, because past experience shows it's extremely dangerous to do so. It might be surmised that it's ageing, or decay, that might make these middle-aged carbon-based life forms upset, but it really seems to be the number. Trying to halt the inexorable tally seems to be the focus, but non-manage it except seemingly Earth's most famous fizzy drink magnet, Richard Cliffs, who was known for his eternal youthfulness apparently as the Peter Pan of Pop. On further investigation, this nickname originated due to his habit of enticing children in their nightclothes to islands full of sailors, and Cliffs merely got a good touching up after having his photograph taken. And then it was photoshopped to make him look younger. In the wider universe, there's one creature that, although there is a complicated scientific explanation involving microscopic temporal autonomous zones created by osmosis of DNA, it's easiest to describe has a sort of magical power to halt ageing and rejuvenate those that hold it. These are the Perphysas, found on a remote desert moon of Owen Smith 29. The small green creatures can turn back the clock to their own age for any other being when in physical contact, from which we get the phrase, you're only as old as the small green creature from AstraZeneca that you feel. Barold Barry Barnstable, a discredited agony aunt from the Advice Nebula of Proops, conducted long studies of the happiness of beings that had their own ageing reverse and halted by the pervisors. They were mainly miserable, not because of the nagging loss of DNA to the provisors, or the cost of living forever, or the dearth of new entertainment content on Sunday afternoons, but due to there being no one with the exact level of knowledge of how life had been when they were between the ages of 15 and 30, and having nothing to talk about. A lack of ability to share nostalgia is worse than not having another birthday, was Barold's theory. This was eventually proved by his posthumous Welsh counterpart, Die Young. 
No investigations have been conducted into the happiness of the Pavizas, but fuck them. Beautiful piece, and I, I am disappointed that I didn't get the Peter Pan. There's uh, something in your delivery that this time uh, that I, I got the Peter Pan of, of pop, and that. But I'm afraid the I'm actually afraid that the Peter Pan of pop joke only works in the West Midlands. I uh, I axed uh, a Cliff Richard joke from mine, even though you'd set the st- you'd set the stall out nicely. Oh, it's not so much. It's not the Cliff. It's not Cliff Richards. It's pop. I think so. I don't think anybody outside the uh, West Midlands calls fizzy pop pop. Um. I know Americans do, so uh, there must be other people. Some, Ameri- some, some Americans, Americans. hurrah! So yeah, East, it, and that's who listens East to us. East Coast Americans, <laughs> but then they also call scones biscuits. So I don't know what the don't fuck, fuck they're them. doing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a- Hi, America. Hi, I love you. Hi, uh, scones ain't nothing to fuck with. Hi. <laughs> so I think the the only real. Um, I don't know psychological, interesting, philosophical point that I'd got in there. A lot of it was based on the uh, the the. Uh, small green creature that you feel <laughs> but the um i did enjoy that as well the only thing i'd got really was the the fact that you know when you see like i don't know um rupert murdoch or sean connery or whatever or jar jar gabor going out with someone who is of a completely different age group to them yeah and like you think and you go oh everybody oh look aren't they lucky and you think yeah, they've got. They're going out with someone who is at their sexual peak, perhaps uh, much more physically attractive and toned and stuff, anything. But fucking hell, they've got to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. Think that. Like, yeah, you you see you see pretty young things, and you're like, oh, I'm quite attracted to them physically. But Jesus Christ, can you imagine sitting next to them while watching anything or? Or, or or having their opinion about anything when they're twenty years old, oh, makes me sad. And I just, I genuinely think that 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 um, the whalebagger we talk about whalebagger a lot. Him as an immortal, the idea that he could he couldn't talk to anybody. It's not that he was was it, the reason wasn't that he didn't have any friends. wasn't because he just to zoom around the galaxy calling them fucknuts. It was that um, like he got no, he, he couldn't find anybody who'd got the same length of experience and or experiences to to talk to, and <laughs> just I don't know. I was even thinking about that it just made me really sad. But how right wing must he have become if he'd lived that long? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he came all the way round again, as as is so often the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I know. It was, I was no, no, that, that wasn't like that. a slam on you. It's like, how else could you respond to that? It's, it's not horseshoe theory, but uh, slinky spring theory. <laughs> <laughs> keep going round and round. I prefer the political weeble theory of they wobble, but they don't fall down. But John, so, John, all, 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 joking, all joking aside, what was it What was it like when you hit 42? I, um, 42 wasn't bad. 40 was all right, too. Um, I remember being really, um, I don't know if you can all talk to me about this. I remember being quite being um, worried to hit 30. Yeah. 30 was a bigger deal, right? And absolutely shit all changed. I think the pressure's off when you're 40. I think that it's like, um, well, you're no, younger, you're no longer by any description a young person. So you don't have to do anything or you, there's none of that pressure of young people shit. And I think that's kind of freeing. But aren't you three still millennials? I'm not. I'm a I'm a I'm a cusping I'm a cusping millennial. Um 
As in, I'm, I'm, I'm right on the edge. Me and John are the... Uh, You're Gen X, aren't you? Exactly. Here we go. Right, so no one's going to have us. Gen X won't have us. Millennials won't have us. We're just... We're just, like, exactly where we want to be, really, Danny, right? Just in our own little place, doing our own thing, mate. I think if you list the, the things that identify Gen Xers to each other and list the things that millennials identify with each other, we're definitely more Gen X than we are millennial. Yeah, probably, to be fair. Well, you had, the other the, the thing is, you had analogue childhoods. Yep. But digital lives, and I think that's the thing. Isn't that what they call the Xennial? I, w- I would argue I'm Gen X because Gen X uh, is one of my favourite books. It's a good, it is um, a good book. That's the good argument then. That's a good argument. I'm uh, in that in in, uh, in that sense. I'm mill on the floss. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, uh, before we open the presents, uh, Danny's up. Yeah. So this was genuinely written on the midnight that I turned forty-two. Oh. sitting in my um, my kitchen in my pants, um, tapping away at my phone because I couldn't get to sleep. So any um, any bleakness <laughs> <laughs> could be traced back to that particular circumstance. J- just that. Thank you for your service, Emma. <laughs> yeah. Surviving that birthday or midnight notes on my 42nd birthday alone and in my pants. Ever since Deep Thought proclaimed 42 as the great answer to life, the universe and, well, everything, the number has jumped in galactic significance and become an almost universal burden to those species that bother to number their lifespan in various stellar orbits. One single number hasn't been the source of such despair and ennui since the cryptic hit song 17.9 Ask the Fabillions Why, released by the neighbouring planet Garbaflax, caused the entire Fabillion culture to burrow underground, leaving only a note which read, We really don't know, please stop asking. How different species react to turning such a significant, profound, weighty number depends on the species. Some species, like the Euripididians of Delta, 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 where 42 represents a fairly young rebellious stage in their lives, found the culture change around them. The sudden expectations of responsibilities and maturity meant they were suddenly allowed to drink, smoke and pilot spacecraft. Interestingly, most had already been doing those things for years anyway, and suddenly being allowed to do them meant they immediately lost their appeal. As a result... These adolescent Eripididians found weirder, more taboo ways to blow off steam, such as sister-flinging and micro-amputation. Meanwhile, for the Tikipliads of the ice planet Tickle, 42 happens quite late in their life cycle, and although never stated out loud, the cultural expectation of hurrying up and dying at this age is quite strong with everyone, namely the Tikipliads aged 1 to 41, where after that opinion changes quite quickly. The point is that 42 now has a load of baggage, and as hitchhikers we all know baggage is inconvenient at best. Wherever you are in your life cycle, turning 42 can cause you to ask some pretty big questions, like what does it all mean? A question so pointlessly profound it changes slightly depending on which word in the sentence you choose to stress. Those younger hitchhikers who may be reading this entry by mistake or boredom may be thinking age ain't nothing but a number. 
We here at The Guide would like to gently remind you that a bullet is just a small amount of metal that may or may not be hurtling towards your favourite organ. Grebner is just a disease that melts your organs. And stale aphorisms are just the sort of thing that will get you kicked out of any decent house party. Or a job at the Encyclopedia Galactica. Shots fired, Ed. The truth is, everything is just something, and pointing this out is likely to trigger a nihilistic death spiral in anyone looking down the barrel of that number. So what can help? Remember, even the greatest thinking machine ever created had the answer, but not the question. We at The Guide recommend asking other better questions, like, is it still morning drinking if you never went to bed? Can I claim the drugs I take to help me fill in expense forms on expenses? And the perennial counter-question to the eternal why, why the bloody hell not? That, there's a reason, there is a, a reason that was the last one, because it's a bloody masterwork. It's lovely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank yeah, you. No, it's, it's properly beautiful, and it's, it's... I don't know how you say something has pathos. Pathotic doesn't seem like the right word, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Pathetic is the word it that is you actually use for that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. It's, Having pathos is protective. This might so. come along as uh, dreadfully sincere, so not for the tape. But Danny, you are very good at this. Yeah. Oh. I just wanted to talk to you about the the bit about the seventeen point nine <laughs> number and the the embarrassment and the awkwardness over it. Are you familiar? And I'm looking because we are on video as we're recording this to each other. I'm looking now at Jonathan B. Um, because he is our resident. Adam's biographer. Are you aware of the constant line of questioning Douglas had about go on in, go on in, tell us what 42 is about then. Go on, mate. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. And the the manoeuvres that he made to basically make it sound mysterious while not giving anyone any answers. And it probably was just a number that he thought was funny. Well, he, he was, um, I, th- I think the... Um I think there is record of him essentially not knowing what the number should be and asking Graham Chapman. And Graham Chapman told him that 42 was the, the funniest number. Didn't he say it was the most boring number? And therefore, and the, yeah, the most therefore boring number the and the most boring, the funniest. But, um, but no shit. If you were Douglas Adams, Christ, that must have been a boring bit of your life. I mean, yeah. there, there are other. Oh, oh, I know. 42. 42, is it? Hey, hey, 42, 42. It's a 42, in it? Hey. There are other bits, like, like sitting through the insurance adverts bumpers at the start of television programmes, or <laughs> um, being on hold to British Gas, or uh, January uh, 2021. But the, the, that must have been, the, for him at least, a very boring part of life. I, I have a question about that, actually. Sorry, if I, if I may. If you came up with a thing that was as recognisable, um, that that then became, you know, what we might now call a meme, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, how long would you go from? How long would it take for you to go from gratitude at the recognition and the joy that it obviously gave people to? It's a it's a playing your hits thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. It's are, are you the band who can play that one time you got in the top ten that song? Are you Edwin Twice Collins? In every set. 
or are you Radiohead? Yeah. Isn't it about mood though? Isn't it like on on you know you catch me one minute, I'll be like fucking yeah, I'll talk about forty two all day, and you catch me on a bad moment, I'll be like oh Jesus Christ, who cares about that? I yeah, I think I can dig that because I think for me it would be cyclical. There would be there would be times in the year when I'd be very grateful and happy to talk about it, and then there'd be other times where I'd be thinking about the next project or whatever. So yeah, I can yeah, I can dig it. And was that what you were going for, Dan, or, or was that just you? Uh, I I wasn't consciously putting that in because of the Adams reference. I just think it's funny sometimes to do that to people in real life. <laughs> like if you're all sitting around drinking at a table and you say to the person next year, Oh, don't don't ask don't ask John about Lisbon. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna talk about not going to talk about Lisbon, are you? And they'll be like, oh, well, what happened in Lisbon? I'll be like, yeah, that's the spirit. Yeah, yeah. What, what did happen in Lisbon? And then, like, like every so often, just be like, that's not Lisbon. Okay, yeah. right. I just think it's funny to see what people do, like whether they eventually get drunk enough, they go, look, they've been talking about Lisbon all night to do with you. What is it? And then when somebody goes, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, they'll be like, ah, Lisbon. Now, Jonathan and Danathan, you have <laughs> at your feet, or strewn about your your persons, uh, some gifts. Do do mine first, and then do John's, because I think John's right. John's okay, has so I've got a. It's called poetry for Neanderthals. Wow. Is is it Nea- is it Neanderthal or Neanderthal? However you pronounce it, it's insulting either way, right? Exactly. A, a word game where you must speak good or get hit with stick. Yeah, this is a game. This is a um, a game where you have to describe a thing on a card, but you must only use one syllable. Oh wow! And I thought it might be uh, something that you might enjoy playing with. People. Oh, you get an inflatable. You get an inflatable. You bonk do get stick an inflatable bonk stick. That, uh, over, so if somebody says can... a word with more than one syllable, you get to hit them with it and say no. Well, it's very. It's it's a very on brand present because obviously playing word games with cavemen is a hitchhiker's thing. Ah. Uh. Oh no, that's that. I didn't think about that. Oh, thank you, Mark. I'm going to look forward to doing this because if I'm honest, Cards Against Humanity's got a bit boring. Mm. It's also cancelled now. <laughs> yeah, it got cancelled. So I, I, because I'm a trash human, I didn't realise that it was a present, and I opened my present, and I don't have it to open now. But it's very cool. It is a game, but I, I don't know if it's got a Hitchhiker's Guide. No, it doesn't. Um, Danny's didn't either. Uh, that, that was a really good thought that you had, but it wasn't deliberate. Um, they are both. <laughs> they are both games by the same designer. Um, they're both games by, uh, by uh, well, with which Matthew Inman of the Oatmeal is involved. Oh, has Matthew Inman done Danny's game as yeah. well? Uh, yeah, oatmeal yeah. guy. Um, it's someone else who designs the game, but he does the art. Uh, and, and I've heard very good things about poetry for Neanderthals, uh, and uh, and also um, the uh, throw the, throw burrito, throw, throw, burrito which, I uh, which I thought, given that you have small children, might be something that you'd um, enjoy yes, because his, th- those games go down really well with with uh, family members having played. Exploding Is throw kittens. throw burrito actually the like the spiritual sequel of? Exploding Kittens is the same designer, isn't it? I think I think all three of them, uh, Exploding Kittens, Throw Throw Burrito, and uh, Poetry for Neanderthals, are the same game designer. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Right, I will genuinely play this with my mum and dad before the next time and tell you how it went. And and you, well, don't just tell us. Put a secret camera on. 
Yeah, secretly film your family, Dan. Secretly, no, because the <laughs> my mom swears far, far more than she lets on, Ooh. and she would be mortified if people knew how much she actually swears to how much she swears uh, tolerates swearing in her presence. I'm not saying we broadcast also- it, mate. I'm just saying I want to watch it. Uh, so, um, let's move on to uh, John B's gift. Okay. So, it's uh, a lovely gift. It is uh, grey and uh, with gold spots. Mine looks the same. Um, Some lovely ta- care taken over this. It's, uh, it's, it's a picture frame of some sort. Holy fucking shit! <laughs> I'm a lord. This is the registration deed of individual noble title. This individual title noble award is approved and granted by the sovereign head of state and royal family of Sealand according to principality law. This award is given in recognition of your financial support towards the welfare and development of Sealand. The principality of Sealand officially declares that Lord Daniel Smith has been awarded this individual noble title from a royal family. Oh, that is fucking amazing. <laughs> show us it, show us it. Show the camera, quick. Oh, wow. It's proper. It's got a gold seal and everything. I am literally going to put Lord on every (laughs) official document that I can put my hands on now. Like, this is not going to be a forgotten gift. This is going to be my official title from now on. I promise you. I love how you said it's proper because it's got gold on it. He's got to get a driving... The the worst thing is he's now got to get a driving licence he hasn't got. Oh, my God. And there's like an envelope with all... The official documents. Oh, mate, I am made up. So for the uh, the benefit of um, viewers, the um, Sealand was a, a sea fort that was somehow um, uh, created by the uh, British just off the coast of Essex and um, left dormant. 12 kilometres east of, Suff- of Suffolk in the North Sea. Until, uh, yeah, it's, it's been an independent nation for some years now. And it did like a UDI, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, they can't do anything about it. It's not very really big. But uh, they can't grow anything. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was like a test lab for Brexit, right? It's like, can can you cut yourself off from everybody and uh, still get Pfizer to drop you off some uh, jabs? Well, I I don't know how they go for the old coronavirus on Sealand. So how do you need to address me now that I'm a lord? A lord? Lord Smith. But is it it your highness or is it your... your... Lordship, eh? Your lordship, yeah. And you don't have to. You don't have to use your first name anymore. You can just be Lord Lord Smith. I mean, he doesn't narrow it down. No, not so much. <laughs> What's amazing is you've been like Schroding as Lord for a long period of time, like until you were absorbed, uh, observed as a Lord. We didn't know. Like you have been a Lord. Oh yeah, it's been um, in that envelope. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to make sure I uh, update the show uh, notes to reflect your lordly status. Let's see what. So John's presents same wrapping paper. No, no special wrapping privileges for either of us. Yeah, but yours were wrapped. Your lady John here is this. Let's go. What have I got here? This is complicated, Jonathan. Well, uh, there was pa- there's paperwork involved for you, John. I'm sorry. Sealand registry documents enclosed. Have you bought me land? Yeah, I'm sorry, John. I thought Danny needed someone to be lord over, so I've bought you... <laughs> Okay, so basically what we're getting to here is that Danny is a lord of Sealand and, and, and I'm a sort of a tenant. Yeah, you, well, you own some land. Sealand. 
But yeah. So I need to pay. I, I need to basically pay due respects to my lud. Well, he's got droid the senior over you. And, Does that, uh, mean he, that means he can fuck me, right? No, uh, no. He has got yes. prima nocta. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Do I get Prima Noctite? Come on. <laughs> so, so, Danny, I've got property title, title absolute, which is better than property title relative, I guess. I don't know what the alternative is. Did you just make a CSS joke? <laughs> yes, Mark, it was a web markup joke. Thank you. Thank you. The head of state of Sealand requests that you honour and protect your integrity of the Principality of Sealand and respect your title to real estate ownership which you have been awarded for your valuable contribution towards the future of our country. Your freehold title absolute conveys only those normal visiting rights to access of whatever kind to the sovereign state or its assets and all of which. Um, can I get, can I get another Burgundy passport with this? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if Sealand's in the EU actually. Or do I have to have a blue one? That's black. <laughs> Or gold. I just, just, I just thought you were getting too big for your boots, and Danny should be in charge of you. Yeah, it's it's about time um, Danny had someone to boss about. As as a shrinking violet as I am, I suppose I could step up and come on, Dan. It's it's time for you to take your right your rightful place and lord it over John. And that just about wraps it up for the leopard. Thank you to Emma Wright, aka Editorial Girl, for lending her voice once again to our words uh, we wrote those words and we recorded this episode several months ago uh, well, January um, and it's entirely my fault that it's uh, taken this long to bring it to you so uh, please um, accept my profound apologies uh, we do have another episode in the can for you though so uh, hopefully we won't wait too long to bring you that one um other than that, uh, if you want links to uh, this show and other things you might enjoy, you will find them at btlpodcast.com. You can also get in touch with us. Feedback at btlpodcast.com is our email address. Other than that, have a splendid month or six weeks or eight weeks or however long it's going to take. Uh, but until then, share and enjoy. Uh, in case this in case this bit goes into the tape, we should probably explain that for some for some reason my microphone in this particular room seems to pick up classic FM. Um so please don't sue us, Pavarotti's <laughs> people. I, uh, I must be suffering hearing loss because uh, I, I have to turn me turn my headphones way up to be able to hear it. So yeah, so um <clears throat> this is about um this is about a kind of uh ethics and age. Vincero Vincero <laughs> I don't know about Gaza crime, but I am now. I think. I think. I think. As I'm getting older, I probably think about more about age than um, than perhaps I used to, which I think is a thing that happens in life. That uh, that music is really fucking loud. It's Sorry, so loud. It Sorry, that was me. <laughs> I was I was trying to slowly fade it up during your bit to give it make it epic. What does it all mean? Um, but what does it all what? mean? Does it all mean? What does, what it, does it all mean? mean? <laughs> 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 what?
does it all mean? Why? <laughs> it's fucking Christopher Walken in here, wondering what does it all mean? Why? <laughs> <laughs> what does it all mean? What does it all mean? What? For fighters? What does it all me? Yay! I'm being destructive! Can we stop with the William Shatner impression? <laughs> <laughs>